It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, welcome into the Nick Bob podcast. I appreciate you guys downloading and listening, and I uh, hope you guys are enjoying this as much as uh, I am doing it for you. I'm having a blast doing this. Remember, hit that subscribe button. It helps me out, and it helps you out. Helps make sure you don't miss a single episode of the pod. We got some great things rolling with this pod. We got, uh, of course, our, our Husker football coverage. And uh, with college basketball season officially here, it's that time of the year where I am pretty much on cloud nine every single day. So I'm going to have some great coverage for you. And this year I'm calling games for FS1 like I have been. This is my sixth year with Fox, and I'm also uh, going to be doing a few more BTN, Big Ten Network games, uh, as well. If you have listened to me talk for the past 10 or so years, you know college basketball analyst is my dream job. Uh, college basketball is my favorite sport. So needless to say, I'm beyond excited to get the college hoop season rolling. On this pod, we dive into the Creighton Blue Jays. I had a great chat with Greg McDermott in his office uh, we went through personnel, we went through his thoughts on the team, the season, the schedule, everything. And uh, he was awesome, as he always is. Uh, so you guys are going to absolutely love that. But before we get into uh, the Greg McDermott interview, I want to give you my preview of the team and the season as I see it. I feel like I got a really good feel for this program, this staff, this team. I, I was thinking about it. I've been a part of Creighton basketball and around the program since 2005. I redshirted in 2005 after transferring from Kansas. I played for the Blue Jays from 2006 to 2008. I was a graduate assistant coach for Coach Altman in 2008 and 2009 that season and have been involved with the radio broadcast and the TV broadcast both locally and now nationally with Fox covering Creighton since that 2008-2009 season. So I've been really close to this this program for the better part of 15 years. Uh, so I got I feel like I got a lot of uh, insight that I can share with you guys with with the program, the staff, uh, everything. But before we dive into this team and this season and eventually get to the Greg McDermott interview, I think it's important real quick to go over to go over a, a few new rules uh, in college basketball this year so you guys know what you're looking at, know what to expect, all those kinds of things. So uh, the the three-point line has been moved back this season. It was moved at, back about a, about a foot to the international three-point line. Not the NBA three-point line, but the, the, FIBA, the FIBA international line. And uh, for, for Creighton fans that watched the Blue Jays in the NIT, it was moved back in the NIT. Probably didn't notice much. That's kind of the experimental grounds for a lot of these rules changes that, that potentially go into effect the following year. Personally, I don't see this having a huge impact. I think the percentages will stay similar. I think the attention Hemp's from the three-point line will stay similar. Uh, with all that said, I'm 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 fine with it. I'm fine with them moving it back. I think anything to create more space, more real estate on the floor, to get guys driving lanes, to get guys post-up opportunities is good. The bottom line is, if, even if you're moved back a foot, 
po- uh, you know, spotted up from the th- from the three point line. The defense has to get maybe stretched out just a little bit more. So I- I'm fine with it, but I don't see it having a huge impact. the The only thing that could be interesting early on in the year is because that that three point lines move back, you're going to have less room in the corners now. Uh, I was on a conference call with with Fox, and and there was a, a had a head of officials going over some of the rules changes. And he pointed out that there were seven out-of-bounds violations in the corners uh, in the NIT semifinals of guys being not knowing where they're at, trying to get by the three-point line and stepping on the sideline. So there could be a few of those things happen early in the year. But overall, I don't think it's going to have a big impact. But with all that said, I'm, I'm for it. Uh, the other rule change is the shot clock now is going to reset to 20 seconds instead of a full 30 seconds uh, after an offensive rebound. I like this. I, I mean, anything to speed up the game, increase aggressiveness, I think is a good thing. Um, you know, you see teams, Providence, for example, if they get a rebound and can't stick it right back in, you know what they do. They spray it back out. They get into their flex. They put you in the grinder, chew another 22, 23, 24, 25 seconds off the clock, get into a late ball screen set, and boom. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more challenging to do that. I mean, 20 seconds goes by a little bit quicker if you're going to spray it out and reset things. Uh, but I like it. I think anything to increase the amount of possessions, increase the aggressiveness, I'm all for. The other thing, uh, last two minutes of the second half in overtime, coaches can call live ball timeouts. Previously, it had to come from a player, and still it, it has to come from a, a timeout has to come from a player on the floor all other parts of the game. Um except for that final two minutes in overtime now, a coach can call a timeout. I like it. I mean, a player gets in a jam. Maybe a coach doesn't like how a play is unfolding or, you know, he can't relay a timeout to the players. He can call it, boom, you get a timeout. And I've always kind of thought it's silly. Like, think about it. It's it's kind of silly when a ref can hear the coach calling timeout, can be standing literally next to him, but he has to wait for the player to call it. And then he can give uh, give the team the timeout. It's just kind of – it's always kind of struck me as silly – uh, so it's getting changed in the crunch time, crucial moments of the game. And then this next one could be sneaky big. So there is a directive from the officials in college basketball to try to eliminate flopping from the game. Now, it's really hard to do, but I like the spirit of them trying to do it. Flopping, to me, has gotten a little bit ridiculous. I get that there's always a little bit of gamesmanship and a little bit of acting to sell some things, but, man, there's some people that have gotten just too good at it. Uh, and and it's something that I like that the officials are looking at this and are going to say, you know what, let's try to do all we can on our end to try to eliminate flopping. And one of the ways they're trying to do this is a warning will be issued to a player if the ref thinks a player flopped. Uh, so a charge, even the uh, you, you know a guy flops back, or even the, you, we've seen now uh, guys snap their head back when they're driving and there's a little bit of contact to make it look like there's a foul. When that occurs and the ref deems it uh, a, a, a player attempting to flop, they can issue that player a warning. And after that, any other warning that is, that is issued is a technical foul. And it doesn't have to be on the same guy. So Tyshawn Alexander gets hit with a warning for snapping his head back. And then maybe a few plays later, Mitch Ballack, uh has the same thing. That's now a technical foul. So that is something to watch for just because, I mean, you watch college basketball now or basketball in general. There's a lot of flopping, a lot of flailing, a lot of acting going on. 
So that's something that could be interesting to watch. I'm all for it. I think all these rules changes are good. Uh, so nothing too major there, but that's kind of setting the scene of what we're going to see for this college basketball season from a rule standpoint. All right, here we go, man. Hey, before we, we dive into this 2019-2020 Creighton Blue Jay squad, I think it's important whenever you're previewing a year, last year has a little bit of relevance, right? Like you look back on last year, okay, where's this program at? How did they do? What what was you know the pros and the cons, the good and the bad of last year? So I, I, I want to take a quick look back on last year to set the stage here. So keep in mind, heading into last season, Creighton was expected to take a big step back. They had lost Kyrie Thomas, who was the biggest defensive player of the year. They lost Marcus Foster, who was a walking bucket. Uh, they were picked to finish ninth in the Big East. And listen, this team struggled at times last year. They had two separate four-game losing streaks, and there were some moments where it was tough sledding. Uh, but then they had some good moments as well. I, I think they're, I think Creighton had two big issues last year. Number one, health, health and injuries. Marcus Zagorowski got hurt. He broke his hand in the in kind of the middle of conference play. He had to sit out a few games. And then remember when he came back, he had that cast on his hand. He was basically playing one-handed. And when you're a point guard and you're the, the straw that stirs the drink, the distributor, that's challenging. Jacob Epperson only played nine games, had to take a medical red shirt, had surgery on his knee, surgery on his back. That's a seven-footer uh, that has a ton of potential. He missed all of last, almost all of last year. Damian Jefferson, the New Mexico transfer. Remember, he came in, got off to a good start to the year. He he hurt his ankle. He had the same thing happen to him that Tua Tungaviola, the Alabama quarterback, had happened to him. We had to have the same surgery on it. So Damian Jefferson had surgery on his ankle in the middle of the year. And even when he returned, he didn't have the same explosiveness, the same pop. I think he lost some of his rhythm and timing. Uh, and then lastly, Martin Crompel was coming off his third ACL tear, and I think it took him till about Christmas to kind of find his timing and his rhythm and his flow. So that's a, that's a lot to endure with very important players either getting knocked out for the season or knocked out for stretches of the, of the year. Uh, it's not to make excuses, but I mean, listen, it's a part of the conversation. So that was the first thing. The second thing to me was Creighton was not good in close games. That really was kind of the, the, what what kind of told the tale of the year last year, because everybody remembers the big ones. But if you really go through it, remember last year in the Gavit games, Creighton, Ohio State, in Omaha, Creighton was right there into the final four minutes, lost. Everybody remembers the the infamous .8 seconds game against Marquette at home, uh, where Marcus Howard goes for fifty three. All Creighton has to do is inbound the ball and have it, someone touch it and uh, they're going to win the game. Instead, remember, they throw it the length of the floor. It goes all the way out of bounds to the opposite baseline. No one touched it, so it's Marquette ball under the basket. They throw the same Hauser. We all know what happened. There's another one. At Villanova. Remember, Creighton, 30 seconds left at Nova. Caleb Joseph at the free throw line, shooting three free throws, down one. He only makes one of three. Nova wins in overtime. At Seton Hall, blew a lead. At Xavier, Another errant inbounds pass that gave Xavier a bucket that ultimately forced overtime and Xavier won. Uh, Seton Hall at home. Creighton fell apart in the final four minutes after building a lead. Uh, Xavier uh, in the in the Big East tournament. Remember, Tyshawn Alexander uh, got his shot blocked in the final seconds, and they lose that game. So, I mean, that's at least seven games 
that could have gone either way. And, you know, a few of them you almost have to try to lose, right? Marquette at home, at Xavier. Like, you have to try to lose those games almost. Like, everything that could feasibly, possibly go wrong, goes wrong, you lose the game. So, in some ways, Creighton was was closer to being pretty darn good than their their final 20 and 15 record would indicate. You know, if a few, guy, a few key guys stay healthy and if Creighton was just a little bit better in a few close games, I think they would have gone to the NCAA tournament. But with all that said, I'm not trying to make excuses because everybody deals with injuries. And over the course of the year, you are what you are, right? You are what you are. Creighton couldn't find a way to win close games. There has to be a reason for that. They weren't good enough to do that. So Creighton has to own all that stuff, but I think it's a it's an important part of the of telling the tale of last year. The the close game stuff where Creighton struggled. Couple things with that. Number one, I mean, and I've thought this for a while with Creighton. When games have a way of slowing down at the end of a game, right? Final four minutes, five minutes, three minutes, two minutes, the game just naturally slows down. Not as many transition opportunities, not as free-flowing. And Creighton still kind of struggles when the game is, is a grinder. When, when it's a slower, physical, uh, chew the clock, grind out each possession, they're not as good. They're not as good. So that's, the, that's, that's one. It's kind of like a, a team that runs no huddle and, and up-tempo uh, and throws the ball a lot in in football, and all of a sudden they got to get into their four minute offense and and chew clock. They're not as good, right? They're, it's it's just because it's not natural for them. But the other the big thing is this in terms of winning close games. You know, winning close games is often about studs. It's about stars. Really think about just go in your mind, go through your head right now. Not not just college basketball, but even NBA, whatever. Think about a lot of big shots late in games. Just kind of go through your Rolodex in your head as you're listening to this pod right now. What do a lot of those shots look like? You know what a lot of them are? Is someone just going and making a play. It's not a lot of fancy, uh, you know, cross screen, down screen, slip, stagger, slip, perfectly executed pet play to get a shot. No, a lot of it is an indiv- getting the ball to an individual guy and that guy being a stud creating space, making a play, making a shot. You got to have a closer in close games, a guy that can go get his, go make a play. And Creighton didn't have a closer. Like a, like a Miles Powell or a Marcus Howard or a Cassius Winston. They didn't have that guy. Now you got a few guys that could potentially become that, whether it's Tyshawn Alexander, but they, they didn't have that last year. And that was a problem. I mean, at the end of games, there were so many times where, you know, big possession, Creighton didn't quite have a sense of where they wanted to go with the ball or how they wanted to attack, or they just didn't have a guy that could go make a play, and they lost. So, you know, I, I do I do think that is a huge part of some of the late-game issues that you that you saw. Okay, with this season, that, that's kind of how I view last year. With, with this year, I think it's always good to get a feel for the, the climate around a program. I think there is an underlying sense of tension and expectations on this on this season. I think Creighton fans are getting a little restless and want to see a deep run in March, which I totally get. 
I mean, at some point, this program is too good, and Greg McDermott is too good of a coach to not punch through and and get to that second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And listen, some of that restlessness with the fan base on not making a run to the Sweet 16 dates back prior to Greg McDermott's arrival here at, in, here at Omaha. I mean, Coach Altman was great, but he could never get Creighton to the, through to the Sweet 16. So there is that, and I get it, I do. Now, I think in an NCAA tournament scenario where in 40 minutes neutral floor, especially with, a, with, with the game of basketball, you got to be careful about putting all your stock into that and using that as complete gospel on whether or not we think a coach is good or a coach is bad. But at the end of the day, do I understand the fans' frustration with not making a run? I do. Like, I, I, I get it. I think if Greg McDermott would be the first to tell you, hey, man, I get it too. And so I, I, do, I, I think Greg McDermott's a really good basketball coach. I think, and, and a few bad games in March won't sway me from how I view that. But do I understand the fans' restlessness and frustration with that? Frustration with that, I do. And then, you know, there is the other thing, and I don't want to talk about it for, for too long because at this point, kind of like it is what it is, and you're waiting on the ruling, and, and I think people can kind of go read about this, this college basketball FBI thing, but I'm not going to run from it. The fact that, you know, Creighton got named in, the, in, in federal court in this FBI college basketball scandal. And that cloud has kind of been semi-hanging over things for a while now with the Preston Murphy, Brian Bowen stuff, uh, Christian Dawkins stuff. And so it's it's been an emotional offseason that is a thing. It's a thing. So I don't know what resolution, timeline, whatever that's going to look like is, is going to ultimately shake out. I don't know. But I think this feels like a pretty important season on – a variety of levels. Okay, 2019-2020 Creighton Blue Jays. Let's let's dive into the, this team specifically. I'd say I'm way higher on this team than what was spit out with the preseason poll picking Creighton to finish seventh in the Big East uh, at Big East Media Days. I Man, I'd be really surprised if they don't finish better than that. I, I sincerely think they could be a top three or four team in the conference. I mean, hell, guys, they finished tied for third last year. You know, I mean, like, I think there's this idea that they were like, you know, uh, uh, finished eighth, ninth, tenth. I mean, they finished tied for third last year. So I'm, I'm higher on this team than maybe others are, but at the same time, the Big East is deep, and there isn't a ton of separation between teams one and two and teams seven and eight. I mean, there really isn't. I don't think this. I don't think the top of the league is as good as it's been in, in years past. But I tell you what, the middle and even the bottom of the league is is pretty tough. The Big East returns quite a bit in terms of studs and stars, Miles Powell, Marcus Howard. So, I mean, it's one of those seasons where I think at the when you get to March and you start looking at that Big East uh, at the Big East standings, I think one game or maybe even two could be the difference between finishing second or third and finishing like seventh or eighth. I really believe that. But I, I do think Creighton's going to finish better than seventh. They do lose Martin Crumple, which is a big blow. 13 points per game. Uh, he was a guy that was a really good lob rim threat. He could shoot the three. He became a really consistent performer in conference play. It is a blow, no doubt about it. But I, I don't think that that loss is as huge of a deal as some others maybe think it is. Like I think, I think some of the people that are going on paper and picking Creighton to finish seventh are 
are that has a lot to do with it. Because I get it. I mean, you go through these teams, you go, okay, who did they lose? And depending on what that looks like, that can shape things. Don't get me wrong. I, I like Martin Crumple, but I don't think it's a death blow uh, loss like the way it was losing Marcus Foster or Kyrie Thomas, for example. That's my thought. But th- there, there are a few things that are top of mind for me with three things that I really like about this Creighton team. Number one, I love their experience and depth at the guard spot. Tyshan Alexander, Mitch Ballack, Davion Mintz, Marcus Zagorowski, that's a really experienced group of guards. And basketball, in particular college basketball, it's a guards game. Sorry, big men that are listening to this, but it's a guards game. The common thread, the common denominator behind behind those elite teams that go to the Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, they typically have three or four really good guards. And Creighton, I think, has that. So that that's number one. Number two, they return six of their top seven scores. Experience matters in college basketball, and Creighton brings a ton back, which is good. That's kind of the model now, the Villanova model, the Michigan State model. The, the, the Kansas model of getting guys that, that hang around for a handful of years and you're experienced. Creighton's got guys that played a lot of basketball together. They returned six of their top seven scores. I love that. And, and then finally, number three, and I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm on an island on this, I, I, I think really highly of Marcus Zagorowski, Creighton's point guard. I believe in that cat. I think when push comes to shove, he's the most important guy on the team. I don't know if he's their best player. You know, Tyshawn's really talented. But I think who's their, who's their MVP? I think it's Marcus Zagorowski. And to be good in college basketball, and in particular with this system, you got to have a great point guard. you got to have a guy that can play fast, make good decisions, get in pick and rolls, get downhill, get in the lane, score, flip up, lobs to the rim, spray it out for threes, take care of the rock. And Marcus Zagorowski is all those things. He's got a... Uh, He's got a lot about his personality and his game that I like. I think that cat is special, so I, I think that's the thing that, that I also like. Here, here are my concerns for this team. Number one, size and the, the five spot. Creighton is not a very big team, and they got dramatically smaller with the news of Jacob Epperson's injury in mid-October. Uh, Jacob broke his leg a few weeks ago in practice uh, and is out for the foreseeable future. It was, sounds like it was a really nasty leg break. Ugh. Think like Kevin Ware, Paul George type thing. Uh, and I think the injury to Jacob Eberson is a big one. I really do. I, I thought the guy, uh, Eberson, had a chance to be special, and I thought he would be able to alleviate the void left by Martin Crumple. And – Epperson, I thought, could potentially provide some rim protection, which is sorely needed for this team. And he's a guy that can really run. You know, I mean, that's the thing that Creighton always wants to try to find. You know, they need bigs, but they need guys that that are not ogres loafing up and down the floor. They need guys that can run because they want to run. And in this system, you got to have a guy that can run, and you got to have that lob element that puts pressure on the defense when they get into the half court and start doing their, you know, the ball screen action that puts the help defense in a pick your poison situation. Are you going to shrink? Are you are you going to shrink the floor and try to take away the lob to Jacob Epperson and leave the three point line vacant, or are you going to stay attached to the shooters that are towing the arc and and let Epperson or some five man roll to the rim? That's a huge part of Creighton's offense. 
So Epperson's Epperson's injury is big. It puts a lot of pressure now on Christian Bishop, who's really like a, a, a four, maybe even a, he's really like a power forward or even a wing, more so than a five. He's going to have to play out of position. And then it puts a lot of pressure uh, on the grad transfer, Kelvin Jones, as well, to be really, really good. I, I will say this, though, real quick on this Epperson injury. Because I don't want people to, you know, go buy whiskey and just say, oh, God, this season's going to be terrible. I, the injury to Epperson, while I think it's a big blow, I always think a way to gauge how big of a blow a injury is, is I want you to, to think about what the essence or identity of a team is. And then if one player getting injured changes the essence or the identity of the team, then it's an impactful injury. Jacob Epperson, while it's an impactful injury, it doesn't really change the essence of Creighton's identity. Not like, remember last year, a couple year, or a couple years ago, uh, Maurice Watson? That's a big injury because it changed the essence of their identity. I mean, ultimately, Creighton as a team is, you know, they're built on transition, pace, threes, they're guard-oriented. All that doesn't change. But what it does is it makes everything harder. Your margin for error shrinks Put, puts more pressure on making threes each night because you may not get as many easy baskets. And take it from me, as a guy that played basketball, seven-footers make life easier, man. They're seven feet tall. Like, they, they get rebounds. They're they're long. So the injury is, is big, in my opinion. So that that's that size and the, and the five spot. Really, I could have lumped – my next concern, I could have lumped to just all the front line. But the four spot. Outside of the point guard spot, I think the four is the most important position in Greg McDermott's offense. You need a guy that can pick and pop and is versatile and can score. Think of uh, Doug McDermott. Think of Cole Huff. Heck, even think about Ethan Rogge because that guy, the way he could pick and pop and shoot was a lethal weapon. Hashtag Danny Glover on the, on the basketball court. I mean, he was great. But so you got to have a guy that is versatile and can score at the four spot, but, but also can defend and hang in there on defense. Creighton has had to go small and play Mitch Ballack at the four, which is, which is tough because basically he's a shooting guard. And you're giving up a lot on, on the glass and in the paint on D. And you're having to switch a bunch of things uh, that get you into even worse matchups and things get messy from from that point. Now, I do think Denzel Mahoney, the Southeast Missouri State transfer, could be huge for Creighton in this spot. Now, he doesn't become eligible until uh, December, until second semester, but he he's, he's a really important guy that could be important for that power forward spot. But the four is kind of to be determined, and that could be a little bit of a concern. And it kind of goes back still. Everything's there's domino effect of that Epperson injury where Creighton's going to have to be a team that plays small. They're going to have to embrace that, but nevertheless, the forward spot is a concern. My third concern, and uh, and this could change, and, and it needs to change, but right now, like when I take a step back and I look at Creighton's roster, and this is just like, this is a very, uh, this is just my opinion. Sometimes I look at Creighton's roster right now, and I, Creighton to me right now has a roster full of good players, but I'm not sure they have a great player, like a Miles Powell, Marcus Howard type dude. The, their depth is tremendous, and and they are all good. They they are they don't they're not going to try to anybody out there that you're like, man, we just got to survive these couple of minutes with this dude out there. No, 
But Creighton needs Tyshawn or Mitch or Marcus or maybe even Denzel Mahoney. Like they need to become stars if you want to you, you want to talk about making a run in March, finishing in the top two of of the Big East. You you, you need one of those guys to become a stud. And last year, I thought Creighton, you know, on the like they had a lot of good players. Don't know if they had a great player. And then and and then my last concern is probably the number one thing that has plagued because you know a lot of those concerns were with this team, but this is more of a program systemic thing. The number one thing to me that has plagued this program is toughness. Creighton really needs an infusion of toughness in a variety of ways. Like, I think a part of their inability to win close games or finish the season strong can be traced back to that. Finding some teeth in their defense, getting stops, grinding out wins. The game has a way of slowing down in March. And Creighton struggles a bit, like I told you earlier, when it gets slowed down and, it, and it's ugly. Like, when... when the, you know, it is those late February rock fights where you got to find a way to win a game, you know, 59 to 55. Like Creighton struggles in those games at times. And a lot of that is just toughness. Yeah, when, you know, the, the games that are that are 92-87, Creighton, Creighton pretty good in those. <laughs> the, the track meet, skill, kind, like up and down the floor, good luck. Like you better be Gonzaga- good like last year or Villanova a couple years ago to be able to hang with them if you want to try and get up and down the floor with those dudes because they're really good in that but when it's a when it's a fist fight backyard brawl in February and March that's hard it's hard for them and my my theory on this has been that so you know Greg McDermott's an unbelievable offensive mind and schematic coach outstanding one of the most uh one of the more impressive offensive minds I think in college hoops and, and that wins them a lot of games. But, you know, with, with how intricate and detailed they get with their schematics, I'm always amazed at the level of detail in their defensive game plans. Like, I'm always like, wow. For example, I can remember a, f- a few years ago, this was back when Chris Dunn was at Providence. Creighton had a game plan where they had like five different coverages for ball screens depending on who the ball handler was, who was the screener, where was the screen being set on the floor, and what side of the floor. I mean, think about that. Okay, is it on the left side or the right side? Who's who's handling the ball? Who's setting the screen? Are are we are they in the middle of the floor? Are they like that's a ton, and these things are happening fast. And to me, what what that does is it and this is this is just like it's a it's a subconscious thing. What that does is it makes it so the solution is always found in a scheme and not in your heart and your nuts and toughness and fight. Sometimes it's not about getting out your dry erase board and being like, well, why don't we ice this ball screen and then full rotate and put... Sometimes it's about getting in a stance, showing some nuts, showing some fight, and getting through that screen or not getting beat off the dribble or fighting through that stagger or communicate. Like, sometimes it's it's just about that. Sure, is, are, you know, Virginia and Texas Tech super sound schematically, defensively? Absolutely. But you know what else they are? Tough as shit. Tough, hard-rocking dudes that get in a stance and say, uh-uh. I'm fu- oh, that down. You think that down screen's getting this cat open? Nope. 
Oh, you think you're getting this offensive board? Nope. That That's oftentimes what defense can be about. And so I think when you're so deep into the schematic world, it makes it so you, you think the solution's always in the X's and the O's, and sometimes it's about the nuts and the heart on the Jimmys and the Joes. So for whatever reason, like for... Whatever the reason or theory is, that's mine. This, it needs to get better. Because, like I said, Creighton's got the skill and the shooting and the depth and the coaching to, to cultivate all those things. I think the big key ingredient is toughness. So, with, with previewing a team, you know, you read any, like, preview magazine, a big part of previewing a team is going through their personnel. Now, I, I did this with Greg McDermott, and it's really cool to get his thoughts, but I kind of wanted to go through all of Creighton's guys and give you my take on some of these dudes especially some of the newcomers because I think that's a, a huge part of a getting a feel for how a team's going to be is getting a sense of the personnel so I'm going to go through the roster real quick here uh Tyshawn Alexander we all know him man I mean made an enormous jump from his freshman to his sophomore year he increased his points per game average by 10 points I mean that's significant I mean you can make case he was the most improved player in the conference and he, he had a big summer. He was on the Team USA Pan Am uh, team that was coached by uh, Kevin Willard and Ned Cooley, which is important for his confidence and improving. He went to Chris Paul camp, which is an, uh, an invite-only camp. And I was told he was an, an alpha dog and was one of the better players in practice on that, that uh, Pan Am USA team. And I was told he was, he was impressive. Now, these guys got to be more consistent. He's a little hot and cold. And that can be even in games. He can be one of those guys that can not make a shot for 15 minutes and then score like 12 points in three minutes. And so he's got to find a way to find some more consistency. But, man, the tools are there. He can be a really good player. Now, I do think Marcus Zagorowski being on the floor and healthy for the entire year will help Tyshawn Alexander a bunch because Zagorowski can just kind of spoon-feed him shots so he doesn't have to hunt as much. But consistency is the big thing with, with, with Tyshawn Alexander. Mitch Ballack, uh, first of all, love this guy. He, he's just he's about all the right things. He's unselfish. He works his butt off. I, I, I just like Mitch Ballack a lot as a person and as a player. Now, honestly, sometimes his issue is that he's almost too unselfish. He's too good of a guy. Because there are times he needs to be more aggressive and more assertive. Like there's a, you know, there's the famous uh, Larry Brown anecdote to Danny Manning before the 1988 uh, national championship game of there's a fine line between selfishness and responsibility. It is, it was Danny Manning's responsibility to take a bunch of shots, be aggressive, all that stuff. Right. And sometimes I think Mitch Ballack fears that like, Oh, if I, if I attack too much, shoot too much, I'm being selfish. Well, it's like, listen, man, you're a great shooter. It's your responsibility to let it fly. And so he, the, the guys, I mean, he set a Creighton record last year by making 11 threes versus DePaul. I mean, I don't care if you're playing pickup, man. You make 11 threes in a game, like, impressive. I just, I wish he would be more aggressive and more assertive because he's a really good passer. He's got a great feel. He's got a great IQ. He, his issue at times, I've told you in my concerns, is he has to slide over and play the four spot, which makes him a nightmare on offense because, I mean, you got a guard that can stretch out and shoot the floor, light, uh, shoot, shoot the ball on the floor. But then it's a problem on defense because he's either undersized and he's having to you know battle in the paint and on the glass, or Creighton's having to switch one through four and they get caught in bad matchups. But you know, obviously, Mitch Ballack would be much more effective 
just playing on the wing and being way more aggressive offensively. Uh, he's he's had a big summer. He's worked hard on uh, beating guys off the bounce. You know, because guys, they're going to run him off the three-point line. He's going to have to be able to get in the lane and, and make some plays. He's just – he's much more capable off the bounce than the white guy shooter label that, that people would throw out there for, uh, for, for guys like me, you know. I just – I think Mitch is going to have a great – Mitch Ballack's going to have a great year, uh, and he just – he needs to be more aggressive. Marcus Zagorowski, I told you. I, I, I really like this cat, man. I'm a big believer in him. I think, and now I don't want people to spit out their drink of the I think he's got a little Fred Van Fleet in him. I think he's got a like he plays at that pace a little bit. He's got that 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 calmness to him. I think he's Creighton's most valuable player. Because it's hard to find point guards who can kind of do it all. And he can't. He can pass, he can shoot, he can get to the paint, he's solid on defense. And the other thing I like, he's got this intangible. Uh, steady, calm demeanor to go with it. Doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, doesn't get too rattled. His issues last year was he missed three games with a broken hand and then came back and played in a cast and was essentially playing one-handed. That's really hard. He was a unanimous choice for, for all Big East freshman team. I think the big thing for him is health. He got hurt last year, and then he had to have surgery on his hip uh, during the off season, so he missed four or five months during the off season. That's a lot of time, so it could be kind of a slow process for him when he gets rolling this year. But as long as he stays healthy, I think he's going to have an, a big year for for Creighton. Davion Mintz, uh, another guy that's banged up. He's got an ankle issue. Uh, in fact, he's going to be out for a couple of weeks here to start the season. Bad high ankle sprain. Uh, chose not to to have surgery and. You know, those are the types of things that you never know how much they're going to linger. Certainly something to keep an eye on. But Davion Mintz has played a ton of basketball. He, he's that guy that I have to imagine every other Big East team is like, Mintz is still there? Jeez, how long has that guy been there? I think he played with, like, Corver. <laughs> he's a dude that's been around for a long time. But he's rock solid. He can score. He, he is a much uh, – he's a guy that's much better – when he doesn't have to think about running the team, he can just think about scoring. That's why Marcus Zagorowski is super important. So, you know, men's can just run the floor and think about uh, being attack mode and, and being aggressive. I think he emerged as a solid defender on the ball last year, and that's who he needs to be, those two things. Uh, aggressive foot on the gas, offensively, defensive stopper. Th this is a guy that's been through the wars. He's battle-tested, played in – you know, a couple NCAA tournaments played in the Big East uh, championship game in Madison Square Garden against Nova. Like, he, he, he's seen quite a bit. He needs to be Mr. Rock Solid Steady. And again, he's a guy that can score. And I, I hope he's all about team success. I have no reason to believe otherwise, but he did test the NBA waters. Uh, he came back. I hope he realizes that team success breeds individual success. I, pers I don't think he's an NBA guy. I don't. But whatever his max potential is, he'll be able to tap into that if Creighton wins and wins big. That needs to be his mindset. Uh, we, we talked about Epperson. Again, 
hurt, brutal broken leg, out for a, a, a long time, big loss. Another guy who's got a boatload of p- talent and potential. His issue's been health. Again, only played nine games last year, needed surgery on his back and knee. I feel for this dude. I talked to him at the beginning of October. He was just making his way back on the floor from the two surgeries. He was really excited. Things were going well, and then boom, broken leg. You just hope it's one of those things he makes a full recovery and is able to get back on the floor and be effective. You never know, uh, but certainly a big loss uh, for Creighton. Christian Bishop, sophomore. I'm not sure there was a guy that I was more lukewarm on that ended up really impressing me than Bishop last year. I'm not going to lie. I didn't see it when I first watched him play in terms of him, of him fitting Creighton's style. Like, when I'd come to practice or what, early, I just was like, I don't know. I mean, he wasn't a great shooter. He's not overly skilled. I just, I was like, I don't know if this guy fits what Creighton wants to do. But, man, he's just a player. And a big part of that ability to be a player is he's an elite athlete, something Creighton needs. And as a freshman getting thrown out there because of injuries, he not only held his own, he did damage at times. He's an above-the-rim big who can catch lobs, can 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 uh, rebound, and they need him to become an, an animal blocking shots, rebounding, and running the floor. He's a guy that played really well in the NIT, and that can be a springboard for guys into the following year. I'm excited to watch him improve. He, because of the Epperson injury, is unbelievably important. Damian Jefferson, again, got off to the hot start Last year, remember he remember uh, he didn't start the first game, but he came in and played so well, got a bunch of offensive rebounds, changed the game with his injury that he got inserted into the starting lineup, but then kind of slowed down a little bit. Then all of a sudden, boom, hurt his ankle in the middle of the year, needed ankle surgery, and he never got his groove or his athletic pop back. He he needs to be a guy that looks in the mirror and sees a defender. To me, he he needs to look in the mirror and see. Staring back at him, a defender, an offensive rebounder, guy who just runs his ass off in transition because he's a good athlete. I think if he buys into those things, he's going to be a pretty good bench player that can change the complexion of a game with his energy and and athleticism. Because, I mean, if he does that, I think everything else will fall into place for him. But certainly a guy that's important because of his his athleticism. Then there's Denzel Mahoney. This is a newcomer. Southeast Missouri State transfer. Now, he's going to have to sit out the first semester. I think when you talk about biggest X factors for Creighton this season, this is the guy. He's the guy that not a lot of people are talking about, and I think there could be numerous nights he's Creighton's best player. Keyword, could be. You just kind of never know how it will go for guys when they move up a level like this. You just you don't know. I mean, going from the Ohio Valley to the Big East is a huge jump. But this is a guy that was really good at Southeast Missouri State. He averaged 19 points a game, and when you looked at his numbers, what I like about him is he could shoot the three, but he also got to the free throw line a lot. He was 19th in the country in free throws made two years ago. He gets fouled because he knows how to play. He's versatile. He can shoot. He's a strong kid. He'll play the four spot, and he could do some serious damage there. Again, if... If it all translates up a level, he's an enormous, massive, huge X factor for this team. Next newcomer, Sharif Mitchell. Uh, I think going to be a big part of Creighton's success this year. He's a freshman from Omaha, went to a prep school last year, 
Obviously, got he's got great bloodlines. His dad was a great player in high school, Alvin Mitchell, and played uh, at Cincinnati. And all I can tell you is, I think it's it's really telling. Every time I would I talk to the coaches during the off season in the spring and in the summer, to a man, they all just couldn't shut up about Sharif Mitchell. They just raved about this kid, his toughness, his feel, his defensive ability. He's coachable, all that. I think this staff has every intention in the world of making him uh, a rotation piece. I mean, with Mince's injury early early in the year, he could be a starter, and he's going to make a big impact. He's a really good on-ball defender. He, he is He's a pesky guy. He's quick, gets guys uncomfortable. And, you know, he's just – he's a well-rounded player. He's worked hard to improve his his three-point shooting. And he's kind of got that I-belong-on-this-court feel to him, which is vital for a freshman. So, Sharif Mitchell is going to be really important. A few other guys. I mentioned I mentioned Kelvin Jones, 6'11 grad transfer from Idaho State. Massively important now because of the Epperson injury because, you know, he's the only guy left on the roster that's got size. Next biggest guy is Christian Bishop at like 6'8". Uh, he averaged nine points per game and five rebounds a game in Idaho State. He was a late pickup for Creighton because Martin Crompel decided to leave right before the deadline of the NBA draft. He it, it, Jones can run. He's long. He you got to be a, a a lob threat and you got to provide. He's going to have to be a lob threat on those pick and rolls and he's going to provide have to provide a a, pres, a presence in the paint defensively and on the glass. Now he he's one of those guys. He doesn't need to be Hakeem Olajuwon, but he's got to be solid. Got to go in there and be solid. Can't be foul prone. Can't get silly fouls. He's got to be solid. He's important now with Epperson's injury. And then there's Jalen Windham, 6'6", freshman from Indianapolis, can really shoot it. Whenever you can shoot it, there could maybe be a role for you on any team. But, man, that backcourt is loaded right now. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly how to handicap what his season looks like. All I know is that cat can shoot it, uh, and he's got pretty good size. So that's kind of the personnel. I think the the Jays' eventual starters will be Davion Mintz, Marcus Zagorowski, Tyshan Alexander, Mitch Ballack, and Christian Bishop. I think they'll start the season with Marcus Zagorowski, Tyshan Alexander, Mitch Ballack, Sharif Mitchell, and and Christian Bishop. And then I think their rota- rotation, once they get into conference play, will be the, at the guards. It'll be Ballack, Mintz, Zagorowski, Tyshan Alexander, and Sharif Mitchell. And their bigs are going to be Kelvin Jones, Christian Bishop, uh, Damian Jefferson, and then Denzel Mahoney once he becomes eligible in De- in December. Whew, man, I need like a, what do we have, like 45 minutes here of, of talking? I need, can I get a drink real quick, everybody? Let me get a drink. Okay, there you go. Again, I'm higher on this team than, than some other people are. I think the ingredients are there for a pretty good year, but the injury to Epperson concerns me. It does. Doesn't change the essence of who they are and their identity, but it, it just, their margin of error gets smaller. Epperson's a good player. And then the other thing is, you know, a lot of these guys got potential, and but you know they got to take a step. They, Balak, Alexander, Zagorowski, all those guys, they got to they got to take a step. Christian Bishop, they got to get tougher. They have to be better in close games. I worry about confidence there. Keep an eye on how they fare in a, in the first few close games of the year. They need to get over that mental hump, hump because there was that. Oh my God, here we go again, elephant in the arena when they would get in close games late in the year. But the big thing to me is health and toughness. If if this team finds some teeth in their defense and just, just some overall heart and, and toughness and they stay healthy, I think it's an NCAA tournament team. No doubt about it. 
because they got the they got dudes who can score. Skill and shot making in an issue for this group. So we'll see. It's it's a really interesting, unique season on deck. I, I think they can make the NCAA tournament, and after that, we'll see. So there you go. It's my thoughts on on Creighton. I think the schedule sets up to be an interesting one. You're at Michigan in the Gavit games in game number two. Jawan Howard, first big test as a head coach. You you, you got a, a tournament in Vegas where it's a pretty good field of Texas Tech, Iowa, and San Diego State. Creighton hosts Nebraska and Oklahoma, and then they're at Arizona State right before Christmas. So they're going to get tested uh, in in particular those uh, six games right there. Should be fun. Can't wait going to be really really fun to see this group uh go out there and see what they can get done this year all right enough of what I think let's get to the head man the big man himself coach McDermott Greg McDermott uh was able to sit down with him face to face in his office and get his thoughts on a variety of things personnel this year the offseason what they worked on uh the new rules his thoughts on being picked seventh, all those things. Uh, really good stuff with Greg McDermott. Here's my conversation with Coach Matt. You know, I don't know, Mac, how often I've really been in this office here. We're sitting in your office. We're taping this on October 30th. Uh, is this like, is this the final piece where you bring the, the, the recruits and their final goodbye. Like, is this couch right here where you are giving the big sales pitches? This this is the closing room right here. Man. <laughs> this a lot, is it. A lot of recruits will take their photo in front of that, uh, you know, the wall with the arena. Yeah, that's a crowd that's a, shot, you know, and sometimes hold the Naismith trophy that's sitting over to our left here. Right, so yeah, you, you got uh, the Dougie, the Dougie it's trophy. A, it's a pretty good room. It, it is a pretty good room. Do you get – Do you, what's this time of year like for you? Do you get anxious? Do you get nervous? What's it like for you? Because you've done this for a, for a while now. I, I just think as a head coach, you 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 never totally feel like you're ahead of schedule. Like yeah, it's like <laughs> you know that game's coming and we have a lot to do. And you know, Coach Huss uh, actually said to me in practice the other day, we were, we had a pretty good practice. We still had about 20 minutes to go, and I said. I said, I really want to get to this press stuff, or do you think we should cut it? And he said, I think we should cut it. We have more time before a real game than you think. And I said, you know, the first year you're a head coach, call me on October 30th. <laughs> Tell me if you yeah, feel that way. Right, right. So it's just, uh, you know, you got we've got some new guys that have to learn some things, and, you, and those reps are so important. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, being fresh going into the season is critical as well. Okay, I want, I want to take a quick look back, and then we'll talk. I want to go through a lot of your personnel. But real quick, uh, new rules. Three-point line, move back, dealt with it in the NIT a little bit, and then you have the shot clock resetting. Those are the, probably the two biggest ones. Uh, any, do you think we'll see a big change? You know, we'll see. Uh, I, I didn't feel like the three-point line impacted us considerably in the NIT. And, I, you know, I, I think what it does, it makes it maybe a little more difficult for a marginal st- shooter. I don't know that Mitch or Tyshawn or Marcus are going to have any trouble right. uh, with that line because they shoot a lot of shots behind it anyway. Um, you know, the, I think that the reset of 20 seconds after a foul or an offensive rebound, I think the challenge is going to be with the shot clock operator more than the team. <laughs> you, yeah. But, you know, in practice we've noticed, like, you, you have to get going. You right. Know, like you – you don't. You can't really get an offensive rebound. You know, get everybody reset, put the ball under your arm, call a play. Like it's time to go. Uh, so I think that'll impact. It. it will be interesting with some of these new flopping rules. Yes, uh, they're going to give a warning. You know, a guy bobs his head when he's being guarded. You know, off the dribble. 
a uh, guy flops on a charge or on a, on a post situation, um, there's one warning and then the next time it's a technical. So how, how they're going to interpret that, especially early in the season, I think you're going to see some of it early. Uh, that'll be head scratching and, you know, hopefully we can clean that up as quick as we can. Now help me out because I actually, I was sitting through some conference calls yesterday and listened to some officials talk about this. So if any, any flop warning goes for, so if let's say Tyshawn gets a flop warning and then Marcus gets in, gets another one, that's a technical, right? Yes. It's not, it's not like it has to be two on Tyshawn. You, you get one warning and, yeah. and essentially I, I also think it's, uh, if my understanding of the rule right, it, it's almost like a delay of game warning to that player. Okay. So, you know, we – Marcus gets one in the first half and then there's five minutes left in the game and one of our guys grabs a ball out of the net after after we make a shot and kind of holds it and then flips it to him and they blow the whistle to call a delay of game. They shoot a one-shot technical. So, it you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that the officials will be really careful and maybe use some communication – early in the season like hey you had a head bob back there when when you were dribbling the ball and that like a warning it. of the warning like, yeah <laughs> like hey next time i'm gonna have to give you a warning right so, just to try to clean it up and we had a couple situations in our scrimmage against missouri one one got called uh so we we're able to talk about it look sure. at it on film and make sure our guys understand that uh at least by rule that's what they're supposed to call uh, more new, new strength coach. How, how has your new strength coach helped you guys? Jeremy Anderson is, you know, we brought him on as a consultant in our strength program and he has been terrific. Um, you know, I think he's, uh, he, he played college basketball, uh, was a guy who had four or five serious knee injuries and, and lower leg injuries during his career. So he's obsessed with assessing the body and trying to create, uh, trying to eliminate as many weaknesses in your body as possible to reduce the risk of injury. Obviously, you're playing a, a fast-paced sport. You're never going to take that risk away. But, um, you know, our guys uh, our guys love him. And I think most importantly, they feel better. I think he's been able to uh, spend a lot of time on the recovery portion um, after practice, the day before, you know, before practice, uh, really working those muscles to get them ready. So uh, I don't know that we'll see the long-term effects for a few years, um, but uh, I've been very, very impressed with him. And most importantly, the guys are really happy with him. When Mac, when you take a look at last year, you know, you, you could kind of boil things down to a few plays in close games and health. I mean, Marcus getting hurt. Even Teeny working his way back with his ACL probably didn't find his groove until December. DJ gets his ankle. Uh, Tyshawn missed a game. When, but nevertheless, you know, the, you, you weren't able to, to get over the hump uh, in, in some of those close games. When you guys as a staff look back on last year, did anything new jump out to you? I'm not sure anything new. Obviously, you know, some late game execution, uh, you know, those are some things you can, can, can control. Sure. You, you can't control the injuries. You, you hope that you're doing everything you can to put your guys in a position to uh, remain as healthy as possible. But, you know, we had some unfortunate things. And I would agree, I don't think Martin really hit his stride till mid-December and ha had a great conference season. And, you know, we were playing pretty well, and DJ goes down and, and really was never the same. Uh, you know, I think he missed four weeks that where he didn't play, but after that he was so limited. Um, so, and then Marcus's surgery in the middle was tough. Uh, we yeah. lost three really close games when he was out. Um, and, you know, you have to figure out a way to win those games. And I, I just think last year's team, you know, we the core of that team was a lot of freshmen and sophomores. So, 
with a little bit more experienced team, maybe we could have weathered it. Uh, we just were a little bit short. Uh, but it's certainly been a talking point this year, just how big a difference one possession can make in a game. I mean, I it's coach speak. Every possession matters. and uh, But I think our guys understand, like, it. Every possession does matter, and you don't know which one is going to flip the outcome of a game. And uh, we had some strange things happen to us last year, and we have to try to correct that and fix that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I like the progress we made as the season went on. I like how we finished the season after being, you know, we'd, we'd lost four in a row twice in conference play right. and still fought back and got to 500 and, you know, tied with Seton Hall in the league, who was, who was one of the best teams in the league. So, uh, you know, I felt like we were really, really close. Um, and, you know, hopefully if things go right this year, we can kick that door down. Unfortunately, the, the offseason has been kind of injury riddled and you've had to learn how to manage that. Uh, I guess let's get into the Jacob injury. I mean, obviously it's, it's heartbreaking what happened to the kid working so hard to get back to where he was on the brink of really getting back on the court. Then he has another injury where he's out, you know, for the foreseeable future. We'll, we'll see what happens, I guess with, with the Jacob Epperson situation, how does, how does that injury impact you guys? Well, you know, I was really excited about the combination of Jacob Christian and Kelvin. I thought that three headed monster in there could be really effective for us because they all bring different things. Jacob's, you know, got speed in the full court. Uh, you know, defensively, he can change shots. Uh, the guys really trust him when he rolls to the rim that he's going to catch and finish. Uh, and, you know, he was making great progress. There was, there was signs every day that he was getting closer to being back to his old self. And um, so that that part of it now, all of a sudden, you're down to two guys, and your margin for error is really, really slim. Right. So you know, C Christian got a taste of it last year towards the end. I think that was helpful for him. I think it really motivated him in the off season. And and let's be honest, Nick, we were, we were really lucky to get Calvin at the time we did. You know, Martine didn't let us know that he was staying in the draft till the day before the deadline, which is the end of May. And, you know, there's not a lot of 6'10", 6'11", 7-footers floating around out there. And, you know, we beat pretty much everybody in the country to get Calvin to come in here. And, and uh, you know, Calvin really works. It's obviously a challenge to understand a system as quickly as you have to. And, you know, our 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 bigs are asked to do things a little bit different than most. You know, a lot of – sometimes some bigs, they just run to the block, they go block to block, and, you know, he's running in and out of ball screens, he's sprinting in transition, he's got to defend the ball screen. So it's been a challenge for him and a struggle for him to learn everything. And now I just need some game time and some film to watch. Uh, but, uh, you know, Jacob's deal was as bad as it hurts our team. I just – I die for, for Jacob because he's he's worked so hard to get back and his attitude's been incredible. And, uh, you know, our, our guys know that he's, he's going to need our support here for a while because reality's going to set in uh, that he's got to go through this all over again. Cal just give me real quick. I mean, Kelvin, what does he do best? Yeah, I think it's – I think his intensity. Like, I, I was really impressed in the scrimmage against Missouri. Tillman, their big kid, is – yeah, one of the better big guys in the SEC, and he really battled him and fought him, kept the ball out of his hands. He's a he's he's a really good offensive rebounder, chases it on the offensive glass, and now it's just a matter of understanding where his shots are going to come from in our offense. You know, he hasn't been a guy that's ball screened and dove to the rim and caught flip ups or pocket passes, and right. he's been more of a back to the basket guy. So just I think what for him right now is figuring out where is my niche in this offense 
for me to be successful. He's a, he's an incredible screener and probably the best screener on our team. So I, I think from that standpoint, he's going to get some guys, some shots, uh, that, uh, you know, it won't show up in the stat sheet, but he's going to impact what we do offensively. So we're kind of in it, but I want to go through some of the personnel, especially some of the new guys, because ultimately, you know, it's just uh, it's it's interesting to go guy by guy. Sharif, uh, I I think it's telling when whether I would run into you in the summer or Jeff Vanderloo would call me or whoever. You guys raved about Sharif from the moment he got here. What is it? Like, what do you like most about that cat? Well, it starts with his motor. You know, he just doesn't quit. And, uh, you know, defensively, he can have such an impact on the ball. He's such a pest on the basketball. And, you know, different than Kyrie. Kyrie had length. Uh, Kyrie learned anticipation skills. Uh, Sharif's just got this quickness to burn. And he's, he's poking at the ball. And we've got to eliminate a few of the fouls, which I think we can over time. Uh, but he, he, he's the Energizer Bunny. He goes out there and he's picking you up 94 feet. And I think you'll, you'll see us uh, allow him to be a little bit more aggressive, picking up the ball across, you know, at three-quarter court and hounding it and changing what we do behind him a little bit when he's in the game. But, uh, you know, we, when we recruited him, uh, you know, there was three things we needed to have him improve. We said, you have to get stronger. Uh, we need you to go to prep school because that's part of the strength piece. Your body just needs another year, and you have to improve your shooting. And to his credit, he did all three. I mean, he's he's put on 20 pounds since he's since he's arrived on campus. So his body looks different. He's able to take a beating a little bit more. Uh, he's improved that shot. There's still a ways to go. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he, he plays fearlessly. And as he learns the offense and gets a better feel for where everybody's at and what to look for, I think he's got a chance to have a really good career for us. Now, Alvin's his dad, right? Yes. Did you did you remember Alvin as a player? I, I remember the name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously he, he's taught Sharif really, really well. I was well. going to say. Yeah, because he's uh, – you know, he, he just doesn't uh, – he doesn't give up. And, uh -huh. you know, even in the Missouri scrimmage, it was probably the first time I told him afterwards, first time I see, I've seen you tired, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, first college game, oh, the, yeah, you know, all the adrenaline all that, that goes yeah. with that, you know, like he was dying out there. But uh, – you know, what we're asking him to do has been a – it's been a great example for me to show some of our older guys. Like, you know, watch how Sharif has guarded that basketball. Like, it it takes energy. It takes effort. No doubt. Uh, and he's uh, he brings that every single day to practice. Uh, Denzel. Denzel uh, Mahoney, the, the Southeast Missouri State transfer. The, you, you, one of the things I looked – he was 19 a game. But if I'm not mistaken, he, was, he finished 19th in the country in free throws made. So he scored. He put pressure on the defense. He got to the foul line. Now, he's not going to be eligible right away for you guys, but what, what do you like about his game? Well, I like a lot of things. Uh, you know, he's, he's powerful. Uh, you know, and, and in the Big East, you have to have wings that have some length. You know, he's got a seven-foot wingspan. Uh, he did shoot 40% from the three-point line uh, at Southeast Missouri in his – shown that he can do that in practice but you know at the end of the game Nick uh, very very few times is it a great executed play like there's a screen and a screen and a screen and a guy gets a shot oftentimes it's Miles Powell hitting that 25 footer with a hand in his face here where we're all over him you know there's a couple of the shots Marcus Howard hit against yep. us that had nothing to do with the play they ran it had to do with the player Doug and had a few of those Doug had a few of those and <laughs> So you, you want to have guys in situations where you're struggling, where you can go to an isolation, you can get him the ball on a, a spot on the floor where we 
he's proven to be successful. And we know, number one, he's either going to get us a pretty good shot for himself or somebody else, or he's going to get to the foul line. Like something good is going to happen. And our roster is not built with a lot of those guys. Right. And uh, I think he can bring that to the table for us. Uh, but, you know, his strength, uh, he, he, he's, he can be a much better defender than he thinks he can uh, because he has quickness, he has strength, he's got, he's got length. Uh, so, you know, he's going to – he will change our team. And it's been interesting. I haven't had a guy that's become eligible this semester for a while. Like, yeah. how much do you play him with a top group? How much do you play him against a top group? Like, you want to make sure – He's up to speed on what you're doing uh, because once you get into game preps and games, it's really hard to get those reps where you're just working on you as much. So he, he, uh, we, we've used him a lot uh, with the top group, and obviously when, when he becomes eligible, he's going to play a huge role on this team. Jalen, uh, Jalen Windham, the what are you, 6'5", uh, yeah, six, big-bodied four, six, guy five. too, can shoot it. Has been uh, through practice at this point. We stat all the live five-on-five five portions of practice. He He's shooting it better from the three-point line than anybody on the team. And that says something when you think about some of the guys that are out there with him. And, you know, he's oftentimes been on the with the second group, so he's being guarded by yep. guys with a little bit more experience. So, you know, he can really make shots. Uh, he did some good things. He was really thrown into action at Missouri because – uh, because of our injury Banged situation up. with Davion and, and DJ out. Uh, so he played 19 or 20 minutes, you know, took care of the basketball, made the right p- passes, didn't shoot it great, tried to compete defensively. But that's that's his challenge is most freshmen like, all right, how do I figure out this defense? How do I guard quickness? How do I – where am I supposed to be off the ball? And when am I supposed to stunt? You know, and, and the communication that goes with that. And and I think that's where where he's behind. Now, having said all that, you know, given our current situation with Davion out uh, and DJ still not fully back to health, I think he'll I think he'll be able to play this week. But uh, you know, we're going to need some guys off the bench that haven't played before, and he's he's one of the guys that's going to have to step up and get an opportunity. Uh, let's get to the a few of the guys, and I'm sure make you feel better when you your head hits the pillow at night with with this year. And it starts. Let's start with Tyshawn. Uh, he he played for in the Pan Am games from Team USA. Uh, went to Chris Paul camp, so he's he's had an active summer, and he took I think he it was ten points per game is how much he increased his average from his freshman to his sophomore year. So you always love to see guys that feel like he's getting better and better and better. But what is that next step for him? Because he he kind of he he was a little inconsistent at times last year. He had a couple big games, but a couple of times where he'd kind of struggle a little bit. I, I think it's exactly what you said. Hopefully, the next step is consistency. Um, you know, like. And, and not allowing – oftentimes when Tyshawn had a poor shooting game, it really impacted the rest of his game. Defensively, he wasn't where he was supposed to be as much. And, you know, he didn't have many games where he had a poor shooting night where he went and got seven rebounds or five assists. Like, And that's kind of been my message to Tyshawn. Like, some, some nights it just doesn't go in. But you can impact the game in other ways, especially because how they're going to guard you. Like, they're going to be pressed up on you. You're going to be able to shot fake. You're going to be able to get into the paint. Now make a play for some teammates. So, uh, you know, I think the consistency and maybe eliminating a few shots that are a little bit challenging, and I think that'll take care of his percentages. Uh, I'd like to see his efficiency be better, yeah. uh, both from the three-point line and, and and off the dribble. So those are things we're working on. Obviously, defensively, he's, he has to make strides, and he knows that. Uh, you know, the challenge now for us as a coaching staff is you, you have to manage – you know, his improvement with the fact that he's got 
some weight on his shoulders that he's never really experienced before in his career and some pressure that goes along with that. And unless you've dealt with it, uh, it's really hard to understand how to deal with it. You know, he hasn't been the marked man. Uh, even on going back to his prep school team, he, he wasn't the marked man. There were other guys yeah. that were receiving a lot of the attention. So uh, this will be the first time for him. So I, I think adjusting to that role and understanding how to manage that is going to be critical for him. Mitch Ballack, I can tell, is one of your favorites. I mean, he just is kind of about all the right things. He's unselfish. He, he All he cares about is winning. Sometimes it's almost to his detriment where he's too unselfish. Like you'd almost like to see him be more aggressive. But – Seems like he's had a good off season. What what's his off season been like? It, really good. You know, he he took uh, athletes in action trip to Israel uh, in May uh, that had a basketball co- component to it. Um, and then you know, with Mitch, he's he's there's a reason he shoots it so well. Like there's nobody in our program that spends as much time in the gym as he does. And as a result, when he's open and got a look, it's Pretty good. We all think it's going in. We're right. all surprised when it doesn't. But I think he's added some things to his game. We really worked uh, on some finishing in the paint uh, during the off season, kind of you know off the wrong foot with the wrong hand. Just you know, creative ways to finish when you're not a guy that's going to jump up to the top of the square, and you're going to be a guy that they're going to try to do whatever they can to run you off that three point line. Sure. So um, he, he's really improved in a lot of ways. I think uh, defensively. Still a ways to go, but there's marked improvement there. And, you know, I, th- I think from a leadership standpoint, going from a sophomore to junior, I just think he's more comfortable. Uh, you know, last year I tried to get him to lead at times. I think he felt, you know, with, with Caleb and Cash and Martine, like, is it my place? And mm-hmm. I think he feels more comfortable in the leadership role this year. Um, and the reality of it is everybody respects his work ethic and respects the way he plays because they know how unselfish he is. Uh, when you have a guy that's thought of that well by his teammates, they're going to listen when he talks. Uh, Davion, you brought up he's a little banged up uh, right now. Um, give us whatever update you can on him. But, I mean, he's a guy that – He's a dude that is kind of, I'm sure other Big East teams are like, that guy's still here. You yeah, know? He's, he's played a lot of basketball <laughs> yes, for he us. Has. And he's, uh, you know, he's played whatever role we've asked him to play. We moved him off the ball last year uh, to get Marcus on the floor a little bit more, and he adjusted to that. Uh, asked him to play more of a defensive stopper role for us at times, and, you know, he handled that. So, you know, we're, the reality of it is we're going to see how much we miss him here. Yeah. Because uh, we're not going to have him for a few weeks for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, he had a good offseason. I think he worked really hard. He was shooting the basketball really well, um, especially in Australia the last game and a half or so um, because Marcus wasn't playing. He was running the point, really did a good job of distributing the basketball and, and getting shots for his teammates. So now it's just a matter he's in a cast until, uh, I think, uh, November 6th. Okay. And then it's, you know, best case two or three weeks after that, worst case, you know, five or six weeks after that, depending on how that – high ankle sprain heels so those things are a little bit tricky they're different with everybody but uh without question we're going to need him back in the floor it helps to have a guy like marcus zagorowski that can handle the ball and distribute obviously probably the most important position for how you want to play uh not too many guys can do both or really do all three he can shoot it he can drive it and he can distribute and he's just got a a calmness to him that i really like about him on the floor where he's obviously been battling a little bit of health stuff. Where is Marcus at in in his progression? Well, he's not where he wants to be. Yeah, uh, because he wants to be at the best he's ever been in his life, <laughs> and 
and not understanding, you know, I had, he had pretty major surgery sure. on his hip in April, and, and he did nothing April, May, June, July, August, and then we ramped him up starting in September. So when you take five or six months off, the amount of time it takes to get your timing back and get your legs back and everything that goes with that, uh, it, it's going to take some time, like it did with Martine coming off the surgery. So I, I think we're going to see uh, a little inconsistency in his play early. Uh, I, I didn't think he played well the first 15 minutes or first 25 minutes at Missouri. The last 15 minutes he was outstanding. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to see some of that. And the challenge for him will be handling that mentally, understanding it's just part of the process of coming back off a pretty major surgery and a lot of time on the shelf. Uh, but, you know, like Mitch, I think he's embraced a leadership role in this team and understands how he can impact his teammates from the point guard position. And, you know, a lot of the conversations Marcus and I have had has been like, Marcus, you can't worry about what's going on with you. Like you have to be focused on everybody else. And I think that's the next step for him and something that he's really excited about. And I think he will embrace, but, um, you know, he, he's going to play a, a really, really yeah. important role for us. And, you know, when he's on the floor, we're a better basketball team. I love that team. guy. The, uh, another guy that had an injury in the year that, that kind of derailed it was, was Damian Jefferson. I mean, he was a guy that came off the bench in the first game, changed the game with his energy, really was doing a good job in the offensive glass, really shot it well. But, I mean, you have ankle surgery in the middle of the year. It's hard to just kind of pick up where he left off. Where's, where's Damian Jefferson at? Yeah, you know, I think he's – I don't think he's all the way back, but I think he's and, – and part of it, I think, Nick, is just having confidence in it. You know, he had the the two-hour surgery. You know, two-hours had it, the Alabama yeah. quarterback, now on both ankles, where they just go in and they really put two ropes around those two bones and they tighten them up. And uh, But, you know, one thing I learned as we did some research with, with Davion's, because Davion's injury was not quite as severe but similar – is you know so we we reached out to some of the top doctors in the country, including Two Hours Doctor, and the message we got is, hey, like basketball is different than football. Yes, like we can wrap that ankle for <laughs> two, two hours. Doing a three step drop, and yeah. yeah, right. Like he doesn't have to. There's not a ton of change of direction. You're not running, jumping, stopping, starting. Yeah. Um, and so the recovery for basketball is significantly more than it is for football, and I think. We probably were under the pressure that, hey, after three or four weeks, DJ will be back. He'll be doing the same stuff he was doing before. Well, that's not the case at all. Yeah. So it was a long road back. and uh, But he, you know, we, we need him. And we played better uh, when we had him. And, you know, I, it would have been interesting to see because Martin really wasn't himself until about the time DJ got hurt. Yes. So had we had both of those guys healthy, what could have that become? And, and uh, you know, DJ tweaked the foot a little bit last week in practice, but he, you know, I expect him to play this week and be ready for the opener. But, um, you know, he's shooting it good. He's making good decisions. Uh, he's an athletic presence on the backboards, which we desperately need. Uh, so he, he's, you know, he'll be out there and he's going to play a lot of minutes. Last guy, and then we'll get into a couple things and I'll let you run here because I know you got a million things to do. Uh, Christian Bishop, uh, you could kind of – Think back to Kyrie Thomas, where freshman year uh, was in and out of the, the 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 lineup, had a really good NIT, and it kind of springboarded him. Christian really played well down the stretch and played really well in the NIT, especially in that Memphis game. And on a that court was full of freaky athletes, and Christian belonged on on the floor. What, what do you what do you see with Christian right now? Well, I mean, first of all, I appreciate the fact that you know he's not a 
five. Yeah. But, you know, we've had to play him there kind of by default. You know, there there wasn't a lot of minutes for him at the wing position right now, and, you know, we've been thin up front. So he's really had to kind of learn a whole new position. Uh, but he's, he's crafty. Um, and as you mentioned, I think the experience last year towards the end, I mean, it wasn't a secret. I wanted to redshirt him. Yeah. I thought it was the best for him and right. for his body. He didn't want to, and I – I respected his wishes and you know, it's probably a godsend that he didn't because of that experience that he got at the end, I think motivated him to work a little harder in the off season. And he, because we were all injured, Jacob didn't play. Calvin didn't play in Australia. Christian got all the minutes. Uh, one game he had eight fouls, as a matter of fact, in Australia. <laughs> uh, but you know, he, he got to play a lot of minutes and got yeah. to play through some mistakes. And the last game had 25 and eight or nine over in Australia against some, pretty big guys up front so uh, he's going to play a lot of minutes for us the challenge will be you know like understanding it took martin into his third year before he defended ball screens yeah consistently like we wanted to and he became one of the best in the country at doing it christian's not there yet he can do it for periods of time we just got to get him to do it all the time uh and then we got to keep him out of foul trouble. You know, he's been foul prone in the past uh, and got, I think he had two fouls in the first 45 seconds against Missouri last week. <laughs> so, like, we just have to clean that up. Like, sure. and, and, you know, the message has been you have to eliminate the foolish ones. You're going to get some because you get caught up in a fight on the backboards or in the post or you get a charge because you're being aggressive. So you can't get a reaching foul and a rebound 90 feet from the basket. You just can't do it. So, uh, But he's developed. He's gotten better. Uh, he's shooting the basketball better. Uh, I think we'll see a, a marked improvement in his free throw shooting. He spent a lot of time on that. And he's crafty enough that he gets fouled a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm excited about the year that he can have. And it's the, the reality of it is as disappointing and as bad as the whole thing sucks about Jake, it, it – when something like that happens, it presents an opportunity for someone else. And, you know, Christian is is going to be the beneficiary of that along with Kelvin. Uh, they're going to have to play a lot of minutes, and they're going to have to be good minutes for us. Pick to finish seventh. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting – you can make a case for a lot of different teams. They return a lot of guys. Uh, that's kind of been the M.O. You guys have exceeded expectations every year. Pick to finish ninth last year. You finished tied for third. Uh, how, how do you see that? I, I never pay a lot of attention to it. And, you know, when I have to submit a ballot as well, and, and I had a hard time coming up. With, yeah, you know, you, you, Seton Hall returns a lot, obviously, but, you know, they also finished nine, and they finished the same record as we did in the league. So, yeah. Uh, you know, so like, and you know, Villanova's got some pieces back. They've got some talented pieces coming in. And then you just start going down the line, as you said. You know, Georgetown returns a bunch. Xavier returns a bunch. We return a bunch. Marquette, even though they lost the Housers, they – you know, Kobe McEwen, the transfer Good from Utah player. State, we recruited him really, really talented. So while they lost some offensive punch in the Housers, they may become better defensively and more athletic group than they've had in the past. Uh, you know, Charlie Moore is a really talented guard that got eligible for DePaul that's going to give them uh, a dynamic on the perimeter that they didn't have to go with Paul Reed inside. So, uh, you know, Butler's – you got Kamar Baldwin floating around there, and St. John's has got – you know, Two good players, Mustafa really. and and uh, L.J. Figueroa. Yeah, L.J. Figueroa. Yeah. So like nobody's, everybody's good. You yeah. know, Providence return. You know, all those guys, Alpha Diallo. All those guys are back. You know, Duke and and uh, A.J. Reeves. A.J. Reeves. Yeah. So like across the board, it's hard to predict. And I think the fact that we lost Martine late, I yeah. think people thought, all right, that's a big blow to them. Um, but 
you know, you got to fight in this league. You know, you, you've got to figure out a way to protect your home court. And my goal is that we do a better job of that than we have the last few years. And and then go steal a few on the road and see what happens. But, uh, you know, our guys will compete. Uh, we understand, you know, who we are, I think, and, and, and what are absolutes for us. Like, we have to share the basketball. We have to be unselfish. Our, our, while our, our, our defensive makeup, we're not blessed with a lot of – awesome individual defenders our team defense as the year went on got much better last year and that has to exist from the jump this season the, the schedule uh what's what jumps out i mean got a good good crew of teams in vegas got a couple of tough road or tough road game right out the gates well, pretty much you know if you if you told me martin was leaving <laughs> and jacob was going to get hurt yeah we wouldn't have the schedule that yeah. we have uh, you know you want to put together a good schedule you think you have a good team. You want to challenge your team. You want that schedule to be good enough to do you some good in March. If you're in a position where you're in the conversation, you want it to help you, not hurt you. And there were teams last year, I think NC State was an example, that their non-conference schedule kept them out of the tournament. I don't ever want to be have that on my shoulders, that decisions that I made keeps our team out of the NCAA tournament. So uh, we're always going to try to play a good schedule. Now, some of it's luck. Like some teams are, they're picked to win their league, and then they're not that good. And sure. other teams that you don't think are very good, they end up being better. So, uh, but you know, on paper this year with the the road games, uh, you know, at Arizona State, uh, at Michigan, the home games against Oklahoma and Nebraska, uh, the the games in in Vegas uh, will both be competitive games. And then a team like Louisiana Tech that people think, well, who's Louisiana Tech? We're going to find out. They're pretty good. Yeah. You know. Uh, Eric does a great job coaching that team. So there's, there's, we're going to play some good basketball this year, uh, and it'll, I think it'll be a fun schedule uh, for our fans. Um, and you know, we just have to try to take care of business. Now, I heard yesterday. I'll get you out of here on this. Is there you're going to do an all access game this year? Is there a chance that you're going to get mic'd up for the whole game? Now, what kind of favors are you giving all us boys at Fox with that? Well. <laughs> there's a there's a baseball game going to be held at the Field of Dreams. Ah, okay. In Here August. we go. The Yankees and the White Sox. I grew up seven eight miles from the Field of Dreams. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. Cascade Iowa was right down the road from where the Field of Dreams is, and our farm is actually closer to it. So when I was called on it, I, <laughs> I told my friends at Fox, "All right, here's the deal." Yep, at a boy. Yeah, yeah, leverage So, that. so uh, I'm supposed to be having a couple. There's only there's going to be eight thousand. It's, it's a it's a per, it's it's a temporary stadium. They are going to park you in the parking lots or shuttle you in. You'll walk across the original Field of Dreams oh field. Oh my god. They're going to cut a path through the cornfield. Okay. Where you'll walk from the original field through the cornfield to the temporary 8,000-seat stadium for this game. Right. Uh, and it's it's a regular major league game. So I think those of us who who grew up in that area and, uh, you know, I, I love the movie because of where it was yeah. filmed and, and, you know, I like baseball. So yeah. uh, trying to get eight – there's going to be way more than 8,000 people <laughs> that want to go to that game. And you know how bad I want to be mic'd up for yeah, I, 40 right, minutes. Right, right, so, right, right. Uh, I don't know. It'll, it will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, and you know, personally, I guess the the response to those games have been very positive. Yeah. 
fans love to hear it. It's hard for me to watch because I want to watch the game. Sure. I don't want to listen to what necessarily the coaches are saying. But or it's what gonna announcers get, are saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the positive about that is the announcers don't get to say much that, <laughs> that game. That shuts me so, up So it, keep, it keeps you quiet for a yeah, game. Yeah, okay. There we go. You know, it's the pink out game. So Fox promised me, like, all right, we have an opportunity to really promote what you're doing with the pink out. So I yeah, mean, that's they, good. Yeah, that's they, that's they, good. They played the right cards, uh, and you know I, I think we have an obligation if if it's something fans, basketball fans want to want to hear. Right. Uh, I won't do it every year, but uh, I'll <laughs> but, do it this one time, and we'll we'll see if I still have a job after. The game. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good business there. There, there, you're. You know, you getting the two tickets or however many tickets you're going to get to the Field of Dreams. That's not bad. Yeah. Have you did you? Ever, I'd imagine you said it was seven or eight miles from your Like, did you drive by it? Did you see it? Like, how yeah, well, accessible? Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. You, can, I mean, you can drive in there and park any day. You know, okay. Uh, and you know, when after the movie, obviously we went there a bunch. But it's, uh, it's, you know, it, it's cool. And the fact that, you know, the movie was like I'm trying to even think of the year. Uh, Man, and quick Google okay, by I'll Nick go, while I'm while I'm talking. Year, yeah. But like to have the field still be a very popular tourist attraction 1989 this many years later so you know the movie came out the year after i graduated from college so you know you go back there you go see it but it's just you know it's in our it's in our hood it's our, yeah. our neck of the woods right. so it's it's kind of cool and That's here we cool. and here we are 30 years later right and it's and it's still an attraction they play some charity baseball games there they do some different things there uh, so it's going to be pretty cool, and the reality of it is, my dad said I want to go. <laughs> so you got to, yeah, you, know, you got to help him out. Like, okay, Big Shot, Big Mac. Let's figure, yeah. out, let's, <laughs> let's figure out what Big Shot you are. Like, yeah. make sure I'm in that stadium <laughs> for that game. So that's great. Uh, it, it'll it'll be fun if it all comes to Mac. Comes to I appreciate this. This was great. Uh, you're going to be seeing a lot of me here. It's that time of year. Love it. Best of luck this year, and uh, go Jays. Thanks, Nick. Always great to catch up. You got it. Thank you.